Lech Lecha. Genesis 12, 1 through 17, 27. After devoting the, the first two sections of the Peshab studies, we have covered 2,000 years of history, a blip on the radar, seemingly, of our studies. And we come to no lesser of an important story and dialogue, but one must pause carefully to examine the life of Abraham and to see what wonderful parallels exist in his life for every one of us who are trying to find our way with God. And so in today's class, one of the things that I really, after we kind of break into the text and, and open the text and introduce it, I really want to uh, focus by the end of the class on this idea of, of separation, of taking a stand, of making a decision. Uh, there's an old, there's an old uh, country saying that says, are you going to fish or just cut bait? Right? You understand what we're talking about? Yeah. And I don't want to be a person just sitting, cutting bait all day long, talking about fishing. We want to get out and fish. And so the idea is that many of us, and all, actually all of us within the Native community, have dedicated themselves to serious scholarship and study. And it really is very impressive. And we are here to hope that more people would join our community, and many are joining by watching over the internet and it is an extreme blessing to be able to have those who watch on a regular basis. And so as we look at this story I want you to begin to ask yourself how have I begun to have the faith that uh, Abraham had? And at this point of his life his name is not Abraham but it's what? Abraham. Right? It's a shortened version. God has not added this final hey to his life and so we're going to discover some of the things and the meaning behind it. But in this text it says, in verse 1 of chapter, um, let me go back to the beginning. It's on the wrong page. Chapter 12, Hashem said to Avram, Go for yourself, or lech lecha, from your land, from your relatives and from your father's house to the land I will show you and I will make you a great nation I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be blessed and I will bless all or bless those who bless you and him who curses you I will curse and all the families of the earth shall uh, bless themselves by you so let's talk First, about the concept of go for yourself. The idea, go for yourself. And we used to have a term when I was a young man. People said it in the 60s. I don't know if kids say it today. I need to go find myself. Remember that term? Uh, some of you guys are too young to remember those days. But I go find myself. I need to find myself. Well, this is sort of like going to find yourself, but it was really to go, Abraham, Abram was to go discover 
who he was meant to be with the new knowledge of the oneness of God. Abram already knew who he was. And surely he had a great home and a family life and a community. So why was it necessary for Abraham to, Abram to leave? What was so important about leaving your home, leaving your family, leaving your nation to go lach lacha, discover yourself or find yourself? Well, one thing that we discover that tshuva, repentance, is really about returning to a place that you should ultimately have been, correct? The idea of repentance is to turn around and turn away. So you're turning away from what you were and turning to what you are. The problem I would say most individuals encounter is they want to try to attempt to, to repent or do tshuva and still hold on to their old ways. It doesn't work. We talked about, in Rabbi Nachman of Blessed Memory, talks about an individual who attempts to uh, ascend to the knowledge of God through the study of Torah, but yet hold on to their idolatrous uh, humanistic thinking, it's, it becomes an impossible task. It would be like trying to swim with weighted clothes. I mean, it's possible at some point that you can make some progress, but ultimately the only way that you can swim and tread water is to free yourself of any obstacles that weigh you down. And the problem is this, is that the human mind is an amazing instrument. God gives us all this incredible instrument. When we're a child, we're born with such a pure uh, mind and a pure soul. And as we grow older, our mind, our Yitzharar, Yitzhatov, begins to do this sort of, this waltz of our life, our evil inclination and our good inclination sort of does this, this waltz. And it isn't long before this child, if he's not given proper instruction and guidance from the, the, the child's parent, they will have developed out a philosophy that is a worldly philosophy, right? A very worldly philosophy. Uh, the problem with most of us who have had that very experience in our life find ourselves at some time trying to, to break off this heavy load of, of idolatrous worldly thinking. And it, it at some point becomes almost too big of a task. We've all experienced it in this room as we have studied Torah and taken on the yoke of Torah in our life. We, we remember the times we recognize that I cannot accept some of these things because I'm still holding on to another. We've all tried to teach our children how to swim at one time or another, I think most of us. And how many times have you had a child that would not let go of your neck? <laughs> right? You cannot teach a child to swim that is holding on to your neck. And you realize at some point, until this child lets go of your neck, they're not going to learn how to swim. And so many of us are attempting to learn to live by the yoke of God, to develop this knowledge that he's given us, and we'll look at Avram's life and we'll say, what an incredible man. What, what type of person was he that Hashem, the creator of the universe, would reach down and touch 
this one man in midst of a very pagan culture and call him to go someplace. The, the Mishnah says that like a man traveling through a desert and sees a great castle on fire and wonders if anybody's in there, he screams out and hollers, is there a master of the house? And the master comes out and says, yes, there's a master here in the house. He says, so does Avraham, Avram, as he goes throughout the deserts, begin to ask, as from a young man forward, is there a master of the universe? And by crying out enough, is there a master of the universe, one day the master comes and says, yes, there is a master of the universe. Why are you and I sitting here today? Because each one of us, at one point of our life, began to ask the hard questions. Ask the hard questions. Unfortunately, we're living in a society where most people just want you to be comfortable, right? Don't ask the hard questions. Just be happy with where you're at. Why do you always have to ask all of these hard questions? Could you just not accept the fact that this is the life that you are supposed to have? And every one of us who seek after having the yoke of Hashem to guide us, to, to cloak us, to, guide, to, to, to bring us in life, we don't take no for an answer. We're not satisfied with the status quo. Abraham was a man who was not satisfied with the status quo. One of the things that we find that distinguishes this great man of leadership is the thing that distinguishes every great man and woman of leadership to include many great Jews throughout history who have always swam upstream. Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, the former chief rabbi of England, says that only dead fish swim with the current. <laughs> only dead fish swim with the current. It is the live fish that constantly swims against the current. So the very fact that you are swimming against the current of, uh, of life itself, that which would be the current of modern day thinking, we're constantly in opposition to it because Postmodern thinking it does not necessarily reflect the thinking of God, does it? We watch the news, we, we see the commentaries, we see Hollywood, and you realize that's so foreign to you, we just we can't even comprehend it. And you realize that you're, you're that one fish swimming upstream. And then when you meet your friends and neighbors at work, people that you have tremendous respect for, you realize that philosophically they're on a totally different plane. And it would be so much easier just to go with the flow, wouldn't it? Mm -hmm. But can I tell you how Abraham merited having Hashem speak to him? He was not a dead fish. He was a man who constantly asked questions. He was the man that always said, if these are the gods of my people, then why do they not breathe? <laughs> if these are the gods of my people, why do they not eat? If these are the gods of my people, why do we have to create them with our own hands? If there is a world, then who created the world? Should we not be asking who the great God of the universe is based on what we see that has always already been created that no man has touched? And it's by asking those questions that God revealed himself. But first, this revealing and understanding of God had to go after Abraham left. He had to leave. 
What all do you leave? Let's look. Family. Family? Most of them. Most of them. He took some with him. He took uh, Lot. Uh, he took his father and his wife and servants. His culture. His, he had to leave his culture. His security. Security. Absolutely. There's a lot to, to leave. So, say again. His animals. Uh, he took his animals with him. All of them? All of them with him. Now, which wasn't a lot because we see by the time he gets to Egypt, he's given up huge amount of wealth by the Pharaoh. Mm -hmm. So when he left, he ends up going to a place called Haran, right? Mm -hmm. It says that when they got to Haran, they had traveled to this place and it is here his father passes away or his father dies. But that wasn't good enough. When they traveled, they had traveled north out of Ur of Chaldeas, Chaldeas to where would be modern-day Syria, right? But where did he need to go? Why didn't he just make a straight journey south to Israel? Why didn't he just head straight to the place? Well, Avram didn't know where the place was exactly at because God says, I will show you the place. I have asked this question along with people a lot smarter than me. Why did God not just say, hey, here's the longitude and latitude, put it in your iPhone, and head that direction, right? Why do you do that? Why? Because Abraham, uh, Abraham had a very important mission. You see, this wasn't just about Abraham. It wasn't just about Lot and his wife and his servants. This was about Abraham as he was making his journey to full understanding and full dwelling in the presence of Hashem in the land that God had given his descendants, that he would also gather sparks throughout the nations to take with him. So the first lesson that we learn is that if we're going to accomplish the greater knowledge that God has intended for us, the deeper part of our relationship with God that he wants from us, then it is going to require us divorcing ourselves from the materialistic world that keeps you from studying and learning. Whatever it may be, whatever is hindering you, you only know those things. Though it doesn't mean that you need to go sell everything you have and you know go out into the woods and get you a big humash and study day in and day out. Though that would be nice, and many of us would probably rather do that. Some of us cannot do it. But we can begin to connect the tentacles of worldliness off of our life as much as we can so that we can achieve what God wants us to do. So it first comes from cutting away the cultural hindrances, the community hindrances, anything that would attach you to your former life of idolatry. That's number one. Number two, remember it's not all about you. It's about others whom you can be a lamplighter to. It's about who are you able to affect. Now, Avram was not uh, Jehovah's Witness. He didn't knock on people's doors and says, you know, have you believed in the creator of the universe? How did he do this? They had a, a, um, a gift of hospitality, for one thing. Very much That's so. Exactly. Gift of hospitality. He'd sit in front of his tent. Yes, mm -hmm. sages say that when he went to Haran, he goes running through the town and he's shouting to the hot top of his voice 
Oh, no. You know, he's getting all the excitement and everybody comes around him. And then he says, do you know the creator of the universe? Do you know who he is? And he would begin to tell him. And many of the adults kind of ignored him, according to oral tradition. But the young people loved him. They were kind of hip, I guess. The older folk were kind of in their way, you know, they loved their idols, they'd already decided on their own particular idols, and the young people really fell in love with him. They needed something new. Yes, needed something new. So it says that when God told Avram to move and to go down, continue on, it says, and he took all the souls that he and Sari created. Think about it. Did they create souls? Well, they didn't have any children. So what souls did they create? The ones they influence. The one that, ones they influence. So think about it this way. The next person in your life that you help to attach themselves to the yoke of heaven, God merits as if that is one of your children, as if you've created that soul. It's very beautiful. The next person that you've encouraged to draw closer to God, that person is like a soul that has been that you have created by your hands. Why is that? Because when you put Torah within somebody, you're giving them life. Mm-hmm. In the same way that my father and mother gave me life, and your father and mother gave you life, when we place in someone the immutable word of Hashem, the immutable word of God, and we place it within the heart and mind of a person and it begins to transform them, you're giving them life. And it's like a soul that you have created. So when we stand before judgment, can you imagine what it's going to be like to have the names of all those people that you may not have known that you gave life, said a kind word to. You made a decision to do a mitzvah that transformed their life because of something small that you did. But it's more than just doing a mitzvah. It's also about having people that make the decision to follow the God of Abraham. Because it was a revolutionary idea of his age, just like it is a revolutionary idea of this age, Mm -hmm. that there is only one God. One God. Now, if I were to ask most people in world religions, they would say, there are are many gods, you just have to choose which one you like. Mm -hmm. Right? We know there's one God. Now, how he's going to sort through all of that in the end is really his business, not mine. All right, thank God. He's got it figured out. But there's one God. So, it says, so Avram, uh, Avram was 75 years old, verse uh, 4, when he left Haran. Now, this is really important. This verse is absolutely one of those uh, what, what we call uh, time markers in Torah. Whenever you see a, a, a very specific date or time, it's a time marker. So we understand he's 75 years old. He's married. Does he have children? No. No, no children. So he takes his brother's son, Lot, all their wealth that they had amassed and the souls they made in Haran, and they left to go to the land of Canaan. And they came to the land of Canaan, and Avram passed into the land as far as the site of Shechem to the plain of Moray. Now, let me ask you, what is significant about Shechem? What's significant about this? 
At this point, nothing. Later, Later very important place. But why does it become important? The sages say that Avram, in his prophetic knowledge, understood that the Mount Gerizim and you know the mountain of 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 of, um, of, of uh, blessing and curse, and Shechem being the the great place of the patriarchs, this was going to be the place that God was going to begin to do amazing things for his descendants. And so this was the first place that he went to. It says the Canaanite was then in the land. Now, who are the descendants of, or who, what, the Canaanites are the descendants of whom? Go further up. Han, Han, yeah, Han. Yeah, Ham or Ham. If you're from East Texas, it's Ham. Son, Noah's son. Noah's son. Right. So the idea is this: is who was the lad that Abraham was to go to? Who was that first given to? It was given to Shem. Okay. It was an apportionment for Shem. It was the Semites or Shemites that were to inherit that land. Instead, Han's descendants decided to take it. What Khan's descendants were supposed to do was to submit themselves to Shem. Remember this in the curse? Because the, the submitting of themselves as a servant to Shem would have brought them into relationship with the Creator. And by submitting themselves, they would have submitted themselves to study of the oral Torah that was passed from um, Adam all the way to that period of time. So in reality... Say again. And entered, a righteous and entered a righteous path, which ultimately would have resulted in them actually having possession in the land. Mm -hmm. But as it goes, mm -hmm. it is worldly philosophy that says, "I'll do it my way." <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. They wanted to do it their way. Who wants to submit to Shem when we can just go straight down and conquer the land? So the Canaanites went down, or the descendants of Shem, I mean of, of Han, of Hanan, they eventually went down and conquered the land and took it. So, when Avram was given the land, this land was land for his descendants. God s s spoke it that this is the land that he was going to give to his descendants, right? And if you'll look in some text, it's actually written in past tense as this is the land that he has given them. When did he give it to them? He gave it to them back when he spoke to Noah and the blessings and the land was divided. Does that make sense? So when you're following this whole idea of the Canaanites, if you want to understand why the Canaanites were, were treated with such strong hands, it's because when they went to inherit the land, not only did they take what was not theirs that actually belonged to the descendants of Shem, which would ultimately be Abraham and his descendants, but they also polluted it with uh, absolute debauchery and idolatry. And so in the very land that God wanted to make holy, that he wanted to place his name, had to be a land that did not have this level of idolatry and debauchery going on. So... It says, Hashem appeared to Avram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to Hashem who appeared to him. 
From there, we relocate, uh, relocated to the mountain. He relocated to the mountain east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. Now, Bethel is Hebrew for what? The place. The place or the house of God, right? Good. Very good. Notice from this point on, as we go through the portion, every uh, all the times that we will hear the term the place. And he went to the place. When we hear the term, he went to that mountain or he went to the place, uh, we understand that it's actually the place where God will ultimately call and place his name, which will be Jerusalem, which was actually where um, uh, in, in the few uh, verses down, I don't think we'll get to it tonight, but um, uh, Melech Sadiq was the king of uh, Salom, right? So Melech Sadiq uh, is, it's actually believed very strongly through oral tradition that this is actually Shem or a descendant of Shem that is there. Right. So, and, and we'll understand that now when we see how Avram comes and he offers a tithe, and there is this interchange of extreme respect, respect to this man who was a great leader of the one God. It's interesting, kind of, how that all plays out because there were other pagan, uh, what do you call it, deities worshipped in the same city. Okay? So we'll go on. Uh, <clears throat> There was a famine in the land, and Avram descended to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. So, let's stop. Let's do some commentary. Um, the, uh, hold on one second. Let me see something. There is, um, there is a question that we would have to ask. And I've heard some people uh, make comments to say that that uh, this was an example of Abraham's lack of faith when he got there, and there was a famine that he didn't have enough faith to trust God to, you know, rain manna from heaven or whatever. Uh, but clearly, the text doesn't say that. It says it was a famine. So what did he do? He continued on south to Egypt. Why does he go to Egypt? Because Egypt was not in famine. So that meant that the only place that was in famine was the land that he was to possess. Why was he to go to Egypt? For the same reason that he went to, um, to Haran, to gather sparks. There was a purpose. We'll understand that in the prophets, at the end, it says that when judgment is meted out to all of the nations, that there is a portion of Egypt that Hashem will preserve and bless because every time the patriarchs needed something, that's where they went, and Egypt garnished the hand of God or helped dress the people of God for, for, uh, for, for, for God's purpose. And that's incredible when you hear that story. And we see that from the very beginning, God had a purpose for those who were in Egypt and those to gather sparks. He goes, and when he gets there, he asked he, he, he reminds his wife that she's going, he's going to have to play a little shell game and claim that she is his sister, right? Mm -hmm. So he tucks her away, and when he goes through customs, he gets found. It says that, and when he went into Egypt, notice it didn't say he and Sarah, 
said just he. So it, it, it appears that he had had her hid, hidden away, and she was discovered by customs. Um, I guess when they're checking passports, they found her in the tire. I don't know, but they find her, and she's beautiful. And, uh, you know, the, the, the custom of that place, well, it is in any nation even to this day, you go through customs, you have to pay taxes on things that you have or don't have, right? So they see her beauty, and I guess the word gets to Pharaoh that she is a gorgeous woman. Now, how old is Sarah at the time? Seventy-something. Yeah, almost 80 years old, 70-something. Yeah. yeah. Knockout. She must have really kept herself up. All of Olay must be an amazing thing, right? Beautiful woman. She gets there, and Pharaoh falls head over heels in love with this woman. He gives Avram all of this wealth, cattle, sheep, servants. Why was he doing that? Because he's thinking that's your sister. It's a dowry, right? Now, what is Avram to do? Oh, no, this is my wife. Don't take, I don't want all of this wealth. No, of course not. He's just going to say, okay, hopefully God will get me out of this thing, right? The way we all do. Right, the way we all do. So I, I don't look at this, this foray into Egypt as a mistake. I see this merely as Avram doing what he has to do to survive and to take care of his family. Now let's talk about how this translates in our own journey with Hashem. There are many of us who study Torah and love Hashem with our whole heart. Wish that we could be in a very observant community or somebody wishes, you know, we wish we could be in Israel right now. We wish, we wish, we wish, we wish. Many of us are attempting to make sure that all of our debts are cleared so that we're unencumbered for the time that we can do something like that. But reality, we can't. It's impossible. You wish you probably lived closer. You didn't have to drive an hour and a half to come to class, right? We wish, we wish, we wish. But in that, by remaining faithful to Hashem and knowing your orientation. And what am I mean orientation? The other day I had my GPS on and I'm driving to Baytown to visit a dear friend. Now I know that I'm going to go through Will Clayton to uh, Westlake Houston Parkway and head south and hit the Beltway. But the GPS is telling me to go the opposite way and go down Atascacita to 59 to the Beltway and around. I don't know why. So I'm just ignoring it, and I'm driving the way I decide to drive. And it took me until I got about to the third stop sign on Will Clayton before I just turned the whole GPS off. Because every time I would pass an intersection, it would say, make a U-turn and recalculate. Make a U-turn and recalculate. Right? Rerouting. Rerouting. Recalculate. And, and I realized until I get on the beltway, it's going to do that. And I just turned it off. I was like, this is insane. I'm not going to sit here and listen to this the whole time. However, deep down inside of each one of us who love God with our whole heart, even though we seem encumbered and seem like we're having to take a different direction, and though I felt that this direction was the best, maybe the GPS knew it was quicker by taking the other way. I, I don't know. didn't make sense to me, but I was taking this direction. There are, there are those of us that deep down inside of us, we have a compass called the Ruach of Hashem that speaks to our soul. We have the Torah that guides us and it tells us every step to make. 
And there are some times that we have to make steps that we feel like, that's really not where I know I should be. That's really, I know that's not what I'm supposed to be doing. But I, at this point in my life, I don't know what else am I supposed to do. So hopefully, wherever you're at, you are at least gathering sparks for the Creator. Hopefully you're finding somebody else that needs to draw closer to Hashem, and that's the reason why you're where you're at at that point. But never let the compass be turned off. Don't ever turn the spiritual GPS off. Keep it on. Let it annoy you. Let it be something constantly on your mind because ultimately we understood that Avram did not stay in Egypt. When Pharaoh took him as a wife, he got this horrible skin disease and couldn't even sleep with the woman. It says that Sarah had this wonderful ability that she could just make a statement and pray to Hashem and things would happen. And so when he started to, you know, prepare her for relationship, she said, may he not be able to touch me. And all of a sudden he was wroth with some terrible skin rash or skin disease. Who knows what it was? Shingles? We don't know. Shingles would most definitely mess up a relationship, I'm sure. Right? So he couldn't touch her. And then finally he realized something's not right. I mean, I, something is obviously not right. So he consults and Avram says, it's, it's, it's my wife. I didn't want you to kill me. Now we all know that Avram, it was a pretty smooth move because they would have killed him. They would have killed him because he understood the culture. There are some times that you cannot do the things you do because you realize there would be the destruction of you and your family. And you just have to do what you've got to do. Yes, sir. But it not, didn't only affect uh, the Pharaoh, but all the servants and cattle and all them. Precisely. We lost everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they couldn't reproduce or anything. So. Abso absolutely. No, absolutely. You're right. It did. The disease didn't affect just Pharaoh. Right. Very good. So he ends up leaving, and it says, a curious little commentary here. Let's, let's read this. It says that uh, he treated Avram well for the sake he acquired sheep, cattle, donkeys, slave, main servants, female donkeys, and camels. But Hashem afflicted Pharaoh along uh, with his household with severe plagues because of the matter of his wife, Avraham's wife. So it means, as Tom was saying, the whole household was affected by this disease. Pharaoh summoned Avram and said, What is this that you have done to me? Why did you not tell me she's your wife? Why did you, not, why did you say she was my uh, sister? So that I would take care of, uh, so I would take her as my wife. Now, here is your wife. Take her. Go. Get out of Dodge. Go. So Pharaoh gave men orders concern, concerning them. They escorted he, him and his wife, and all that was his. So Avram went up from Egypt. He was with his wife and all that was uh, his, and lot with him to the south. Notice that term. So did they head to Africa? Where were they going? Mm, mystery. See, it's important to pay attention to text, isn't it? I thought he was going to, back to Israel. So why does it say he went south? Aha. That's the journey, the walk they were going to take. Hmm? They were going to take a walk going south. So they're going to go further south? So they're going to go to Libya, North Africa? Ah, I'm getting you on this one. The pyramids. Huh? Oh, they wanted to tour the pyramids. I forgot. Somebody had a new iPhone, and they wanted to take pictures of the pyramids while they're there. Wasn't it to gather more sparks? 
they bring them back to the place? No, it's really interesting. This is really interesting. And so I'm going to give you, you know, every time we come to tour class, we have to learn something different, right? Something new. Where was, where were they? They were south of Israel, right? Egypt. In Egypt. So when they traveled, they traveled south or to the southern part of Israel. That was the direction they headed. Everything is oriented to the place where God puts his name. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Went back to where they had been in the beginning. That's right. So they were in the south. They were south of that place. I mean, they were in Shechem and Bethel, and they went south. And when they left, where did they go? They returned to the southern part of Israel, or they were returning to southern Israel. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. They're returning to the south of Israel. So let's say that I am in... in um, Buenos Aires, right? And someone says, I know, I couldn't think of anything further south than that. Argentina, maybe, right? Well, I'm in Argentina. And someone says, hey, you came back home. Where did you return to uh, from Argentina? I would say in the south. Well, they go, the south of Argentina? Uh, Brazil? No, the south, you know. Mason-Dixon, south-north, back home, right? So that's what it's talking about. So if anybody wants to throw you a curveball, that's what it's talking about. So someone read for me. Not everybody at once, of course. Start from Egypt. Yes. Starting verse two. So Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife, and all that was his, and lost with him to the south. Now Abram was very laden with livestock silver and gold. He proceeded on his journey from the south to Bethel to the place where his tent had been at first, between Bethel and Ai, to the site of the altar which he had erected there at first. And there Abram invoked Hashem by name. Also Lot, who went with Abram, had flocks, cattle, and tents. And the land could not support them dwelling together, for their possessions were abundant, and they were unable to dwell together. And there was quarreling between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. And the Canaanite and the Perizzite were then dwelling in the land. So Abram said to Lot, Please, let there be no strife between me and you, and between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Is not all the land before you? Please separate from me. If you go left, then I will go right. And if you go right, then I will go left. So Lot raised his eyes and saw the entire plain of the Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere. Before Hashem destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, like the garden of Hashem, like the land of Egypt, going towards Zoar. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan, and Lot journeyed from the east, thus they departed, one from his brother. Okay, that sounds good right there. Lot represents the constant struggle of the Yetzirah, the evil inclination. Mm -hmm. 
uh, Abram is the epitome of humility before God and self-sacrifice, hence the Yetzar Tov, the good inclination. And we see that the good and evil inclination within all of us battles it actually their kinsmen. You understand, they've all been given to you by God. It's the way it is. Now we can't say it goes to the east and we go to the west. But what do we mean by that? There is a, there needs to be a, a logical division line between those two. And it's very important to not bring quarreling between the two that one is put in its place while the other goes the opposite direction. Notice Avram says, if you go east, I go west. If you go left, I go right. I mean, it's just pretty clear. So the idea is that Lot immediately chooses the land that is appealing to the eyes, that is prosperous, that's going to do him well. Um, Avram could have uh, chose first, I guess, couldn't he have? But clearly he allowed Lot to do that, or Lot to, to do that. He chooses the most fertile ground, and Avram continued on. Why does Avram continue on? Because he knows he's going to be blessed wherever mm -hmm. he is at. And so, in this final part of this lesson, and I would like to wrap it up before I do Q&A, this last part of the story talks about how Avram mm -hmm. decides with Lot to part ways. Now, we didn't, this wasn't, some family feud in which they weren't going to communicate. Later on in the text, we see that Avram goes to rescue Lot and those from the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, right? So this was about not being in dispute, to not wrestle against those things. It is important, and I think Avram learned his lesson, to quit fighting against idolatry, to quit fighting against the things of the world. If there was just a time that it was time to just cut the ties and go. Now, oral tradition has it that Avram had stirred up such a turmoil in the Ur of Chaldees, where his father lived, because of his constant uh, debate against the idol worship of his community, and then the destruction of idols, and the constant reminder and challenge to people, why do you worship these idols of wood and stone? I don't understand it that it, it caused such a conflict that people were kind of ready for him to leave. But at the same time, God asked him to move from that location. And he doesn't just go straight south, he ends up go, going to Haran. And there in Haran, his teaching and preaching and his speaking and whatever he was doing, his hospitality gathered more people in. What is it about this man's hospitality and kindness that drew people to him? I would hope that all of us at some level are trying to learn and develop that. But ultimately it comes down to this. To be, a, to be the genuine person that Hashem has called us all to be requires us to not be like everybody else. We're not to be odd just to be odd. right? We're not to be peculiar to look weird. But the idea of what sets us apart is what distinguishes us. What distinguishes us allows us to be a light. Can you imagine how useful would a lighthouse be in a valley? What good would a lighthouse be in the middle of New York City? No, a lighthouse 
sticks out and juts out on a peninsula somewhere or a little island off of a rocky shore all alone by itself. I've had individuals look me in the eye and, and ask me if I have not lost my mind because of the stance that I have made in my life. Why? And I tell them, I have, have a responsibility to, to God. This is my responsibility to God. I have to be a light. And I know I'm not walking with everyone else. But I cannot be a lighthouse in the middle of a valley or in a big city with all the lights. I have to stand out. And I'm not trying to be peculiar, weird, or stranger, or whatever. But I realize to have the faith of Abraham requires us to not compromise and be like the rest of the world around us. To have the faith of Abraham means that in an inhospitable world, we are the most hospitable. In having the faith of Abraham, when I walk around in, in my society that is attempting to grab everything in the materialistic world that they can, I'm trying to divest myself of the material world to take upon more of the yoke of heaven. If I am going to have the faith of Abraham, I will listen to Hashem at every moment. And though it may seem to be a very lonely journey because it doesn't seem like a whole lot of people are on the same journey that I'm on, it's all right. Why? Because that's what distinguishes a person who is of the faith of Abraham. It's a person who's striking out on the journey to find themselves before God. To not be satisfied with the status quo. Sure, we could clip along and do what everybody's doing, but I'm concerned that the, the, the quote of Rabbi, Rabbi Jonathan Sachs that says that a dead fish swims with the current made me really think because it means I'm not very productive or at least there's not a lot of life in me. And the life that we have within ourselves is a life that says, I will follow the one God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob no matter what it costs me. If nobody loves Hashem, I will love Him. If no one will attempt to do mitzvot, then it's my job to do all of them that I can. And in the midst of trying to do everything that I can, when I can't do it and I have to find myself in what seems to be Egypt, it's all going to be okay. Because by the, if I remain my orientation to the great place where God puts His name, if I constantly keep my mind focused on being rooted in Him, then ultimately I know that when I leave this dry and weary place, this land that is not my own, Egypt, I will leave with great wealth and purpose to dwell in the house of God. Amen. Amen. It's time for Q&A. If someone would say shalom to the camera, say shalom. shalom. shalom.